0: This a new view from inside the truck. X racer to racer and eye to eye. A casual look into the personalities of the sport and an experienced perspective into the action from week to week. It's Jason Thomas's Industry Seating. Presented by Pirelli Tires, Guts Racing, Plum Creek Funding, Pro Glow Wash, Works Connection, Bass Foundry, TL Speed Shop, Grandstone Boots, and Fly Racing. Good morning and welcome to the Industry Seating Podcast. My name is as always, it has it doesn't really change my name too much. Uh, it's still Jason Thomas, and I am still the host of this podcast. And if it's your first time listening, I just ramble for a really long time. Uh, I talk to myself. Really, I'm talking to you, but it feels like I'm talking to myself. If someone was, uh, yeah, sitting in the other room or could hear me across, you know, the building next to me, they would think I was a crazy person. But that's okay. Uh, I really enjoy doing it. It allows me to express uh, my thoughts on kind of what's going on, my own format. I don't have to adhere to an agenda or subject line that I didn't build. Um, Yeah, so this is my format, my podcast, and I get to steer it, steer the ship in the direction that I really want to. So I'm sure all of you listen to lots of other podcasts. This one's just a little bit different in that way. I don't think there are many podcasts out there where just one person talks to himself the whole time. So... Crazy or not, this is here we are, and we are at the end of the end of the season. Really, uh, we have Motocross of Nations coming up, and I'm going to try to do a preview of that this coming week. And of course, I'll do one on the backside of that. But this one's not going to cover Motocross of Nations yet. Uh, I'm going to talk about the end of this season and the end of uh, the inaugural SMX World Championship Playoff Series. And I know there's there's a lot of talk around what this series was going to be, what it was going to look like, the name Super Motocross, like all those things. Everything about it was brand new. And anytime you have that much new, it's going to be, you know, I think hyper-analyzed, which is okay. Like It should be. Uh, Everything should be looked at in in good, bad, and different. I'm okay with criticism. I try to lean towards positive, you know, constructive criticism because just tearing something down for the sake of tearing something down there's not really anything good uh, that comes from that. I you know, I, I can be hypercritical and go after people and things too. I just don't think that it's really warranted. Unless somebody's just way out of line or something really is uh, damaging or something, then by all means, but this was not that. Uh, Riders made a ton of money. I thought that the series was executed very well. Uh, was it perfect? No, it wasn't. And I think they'll learn and it will get better and they'll make improvements and i think you know this is a 5 year contract that the series has with peacock to produce this championship so it's not going anywhere uh and i hope that it is productive and um profitable and the ratings are good and all those things that peacock would want to continue on because it in my opinion was a great thing now what could be better um you know i, I don't I didn't love the Charlotte venue, the, the drag strip. Okay. Now I talked to other people that thought it was fine. I personally just thought that I think that this series with this much money and this much prestige deserves the best venues. Now the challenge is we're in the middle of football season. We're in the end of baseball season. And of course, everyone wants to have, you know, concerts throughout this end of summer, early fall, time period because it's really popular. People want to be outside, you know, and, and then all the venues are booked anyway. There's just not much availability, and that's, that's the point. It doesn't matter why. It's just a, a really harrowing task to lock up these venues and get anything respectable or desirable as far as venues, and that's why you saw us at at Z-Max Dragway, in my opinion. That's why we went to Chicago Chicagoland, which is a venue that hasn't been used in three or four years at all. Like it's literally sat vacant and stagnant since I've heard a few different things. 2019, 2020, there's a couple, depending on how you describe the venue being used in either case, it's been a really long time. And then I thought the LA Coliseum was, was the highlight of it. I thought LA Coliseum was a deserving venue. That's the type of venues I would want to see us in. I don't know how to get around the availability thing. That's not my area of expertise uh you know the stadium booking people for feld that's that's what they do so hopefully they're all over that but i I kind of expect the same type things because i don't think the dynamics gonna change right i don't think we're gonna find some miracle openings in these these venues that we'd want to go to because in my perfect world how i think it would be the best would be if we could go to like metlife and arlington for dallas and have some sort of inside outside dynamics to the track right like maybe use the tunnel that the riders come down in for an outside section into a parking lot think about like how Bursey used to be things like that where you can incorporate some really cool things that would be awesome um now i don't i don't expect that to happen I, that's a pipe dream but if you're asking me what I what would I love to see, like how could we really take this to the next level, that would be it. Um, go to the most desirable venues that are like big, huge markets and then add in some sort of outside sections like the peristyle section to a, a stadium like that. So it's not just another Supercross. There is some sort of difference, some sort of hybrid aspect to it. You get that two-minute type lap time uh, by going out in the tunnel and then having a parking lot section. That would be pretty cool. I would be in on something like that. I don't think that's going to happen. That's just me rambling and throwing ideas against the wall. But uh, that that would be cool. Now, as for the, the championship stuff, you know, it was. I thought it played out as, as good as it could possibly be. Uh, you know, I know there was a lot of work, thought, uh, calculation, hypothesizing that all went into this points system, how to construct it so that we would get maximum suspense. And they nailed it, you know, whether it was the powers of BFL, AMA. I know Quentin Fowler had a hand in that because he's so great with numbers. But I thought they knocked it out of the park with that. And that was one of the things I had the biggest questions about was an escalating point system where it goes single, double, triple. I've never seen anything like that in our sport. So I had no real insight. Um, I wasn't necessarily down on it. You know, I I didn't think it was a negative going in. I just was unsure. I I was trying to keep an open mind, but I didn't have a hard opinion at all. And it absolutely worked Uh, to have a finale with six guys across two classes that could win the championship very easily just by winning, right? And and Roxon, as we know, was the one guy that needed a little bit of help. He needed it to go Roxon Jet, Sexton. to to get it done or worse for for Sexton, which isn't asking a lot, right? If Kenny won, that's not asking a lot because Jed has been so damn good. But everybody else, it was winner take all. And then we got all these other wrinkle aspects too, like Jordan Smith was three points out of it. You know, he was not really talked about going in, right? So he got thrown into the midst in between moto one and moto two. So I I thought all that was just extremely well executed, uh, well-planned, well-executed and it really turned into exactly how they thought it could i didn't have any of that in my mind i didn't really put a lot of thought into it or work into it to know like how it could go or anything i just was going to let it play out and analyze uh it on the back end but kudos to everybody involved on that um i you know it is a great addition It, it is challenging because everyone's worn out it is after two full seasons you know that we're used to it's in september there's more travel um it's not easy so there is a a tough aspect to it and you heard that from the teams a two-day format after everybody was worn out it was asking a lot of of everybody financially energy uh just you know being wanting to be there motivation it was not a, an easy thing to get past. And even for myself, right? I'm not racing, but I still am going to every race. I'm still traveling. I still have a job to do. And I want to perform at my best in, you know, this fledgling television career that I'm trying to build. And it's, it weighs, it weighs on everyone. It, it just does. Um, if this wasn't in September, I, I think it would have, everybody would be much more excited. It's just, it, it's ha- it's hard for anybody to be excited about anything when it's that late in the season because everybody's just smoked like they are blown out. And for those of you who don't travel or really never traveled, and I'm going to guess that's most of you like travels for work or traveled excessively. It really takes a toll. Um, the airports, you know, think about when you go like just your average person that doesn't travel a lot. When you go on vacation, think about how exhausting it is. Like dealing with the airport, the security line, waiting at the gate, flying, getting off the plane waiting for your bags rental car lines checking into the hotel like all those things like maybe it's not a big deal for you because you only do it once in a blue moon for everyone else it is exhausting uh it is it's the toughest part of the whole gig for me is all of that stuff uh, i know i've been doing it for 25 years so it's like whatever but it that's what wears you down and specifically it's it's rental car shuttles that's <laughs> i don't nobody cares right but that's the hardest part for me um when i'm thinking about what what do i really struggle with it's rental car shuttles i can't stand it you typically have to wait a long time the shuttles are a pain in the butt they move slowly uh it's just yeah not my favorite thing in the world so for all of you airport civil engineers please please for the love of god build uh, your airports with rental car facilities on site uh, and i will High five. You do something nice for you. Um, that is, yeah, I'm way off, way out in the weeds on that one. But for those of you who travel a lot, you get it being able to just land and go get your car is so damn nice versus the shuttle system. Anyway, back on topic. Um, yeah, just kudos to everybody. Great job. First go around. It could have been much, much worse. Um, and I think they nailed it and I think they really lived up to what they were trying to build. Uh, this was just an idea. I remember going back to October of 2022. I went to the press conference in LA, and I was like, eh, "I don't know about this." Um, I kind of like, I uh, I didn't have the the most excitement around it. I was just like, "Okay, we'll see." You know, that that's exactly that's probably the best synopsis I can give for my feelings. Was what? Well, let's let's see. We'll see how this goes. And uh, to to my um. Contentment and happiness, it surpassed my expectations and uh, I think it's only going to get better from here. That's the best part is I think venues will improve. They know more about the format. They know what to work on and make better uh, and they will know what to really lean into what worked, and they can lean into that, which will only make the show better. So anyway, let's jump into some individual riders here. Hayden Deegan, he did it. Uh, I mean, he got it done. It was a really tough first moto. And, um, you know, he rebounded and, you know, I think going into the second moto, he thought it was all for a loss, right? Like, I don't think he felt like this was going to happen because it was it had to be a roller coaster day for him. He goes in knowing he's got to win. Then Hunter Lawrence bails, you know, his back issue with pinch nerve, et cetera. He exits. Well, that's now it's down. Like, he feels like now it's down to Joe and myself. And then he puts in a fifth. In the first moto, that had to really be difficult for him to kind of swallow, and then the second moto he bounces back. He gets a second place. Joe can only get to fourth, um, and he takes this thing home. Makes five hundred fifty thousand dollars on the night alone. That's not counting the other two SMX rounds. So congrats to him. Uh, what a what a story. He wins in LA, takes on the title, a, a building that has had so much history for he and his family. Yeah, it's, it's like someone scripted the whole thing, right? Um, really great job for Hayden Deegan, and it really bodes well for the career that he will likely have. Um, he, If anybody's not considering him to be, like, next as far as where this sport goes, then I don't know what else you need to see, um, because I certainly am. Joe Shimoda, he fought hard, man. I, I felt bad for him, you know, like... When you ask somebody what their thoughts are and how the night went, and they say, you know, it sucks, um, you know that, you know, that, on that stage, that they're struggling with it. And Joe is still fighting for that first championship. But I think if you're Joe, you have to look at the silver lining and say, man, I really stepped up my game. There are a lot of doubters of Joe Shimoda out there, and I think he is proving them wrong uh, his pace and his speed. And I thought he rose to the, the occasion. Now, the start hurt him, that was tough. Um, That's to me, the track position is what got him in the end. It wasn't his ability to ride. It wasn't the nerves or keeping composure. It was just the start. The start put him back and he had to fight forward in it. He just didn't have the pace on a really slippery racetrack to go get it done. And um, in the end, yeah, he still made a ton of money, several hundred thousand dollars. And now he moves to Honda HRC, which I'm sure will be announced in the next few days, probably uh, I'm guessing Monday is uh probably when a lot of announcements like this will drop. But he'll be replacing Hunter Lawrence on the Honda HRC 250 program and and now they go chase the championship. So we'll see what uh what 2024 brings for Joe. But I really liked what I saw from him. I I thought he showed a lot of resilience this year under a lot of pressure. Hunter Lawrence, man, what a tough gig for Hunter. Uh just really really difficult. Um I mean, he, the only tough part is financially, okay? Like, this has been a fantastic 2023 for Hunter Lawrence, and his future is so damn bright. He's got this 450 Honda program working. His family is just crushing it. Uh, I, You know, like, so it's, you have to take it in perspective, but that had to be a tough night, because if you just look at it dollars and cents, he went in as your points leader, set up to make, 500 plus thousand dollars when you factor in if he wins a title and he does something decent on the night he makes 500 something thousand dollars okay you look at the results of the night hayden went five two and that was enough to win the night and the championship now i think hunter lawrence is better than a five two guy so odds are if he if hunter doesn't crash friday he's probably your champion that's a lot of ifs and buts i get it and that's not how it went and I understand that's why they dropped the gate and all those things. Nobody's handed anything, but gosh, Hunter lost at a minimum, a minimum of $484,000, okay? That is difficult. That's difficult to swallow because he went from first to ninth. He went from a $500,000 position to a $16,000 position, which is ninth. That is absolutely brutal, brutal. And he had to sit there and watch, right? He's hurt. Like I'm tell- I, I can promise you that Hunter Lawrence is one of the toughest people you've met. That he is. He doesn't talk about it a lot, but he's had so many injuries going on, not just this season, but before, that he fights through. He doesn't talk about it, but that dude is beat up. He really needs this off to heal some. But man, gosh, could you imagine? Even though he made he made millions this year, and and good for him, well earned, right? He probably made. Two or three million dollars this year. I'm just guessing, right? You think about how many races he won, how many championships he won. He made at least two or three million dollars. Is my guess. But leaving 500k on the table hurts. No matter who you are, I don't care how rich you are, losing 500 grand in a night is is a tough beat. So, shout out to him for taking that one on the chin. Um, we'll see what happens for motocross and nations with him. I, there has been no answer yet with that. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens. But man, that had to suck. Levi Kitchen. He has so much promise, right? And he's already on the Monster Energy Kawasaki. He's made the switch. We'll see what happens there. But he showed what he's capable of. He wins that second moto without really any pressure. And we've seen him do this time and time again. Wins. He'll just win a moto, and you're like, how can you not do that every time? Like, why are you not this guy every moto? Uh, So I think it's the starts. I really do. I think the starts are the biggest variable for him because I don't think he can really move forward. And he would say no one in that class can. It's maybe fair. Hunter can. Uh, He would say he has said that Hunter and Hayden can do it. So I don't want to misclassify what he said. But um, he's got to find a way to rise above that and be those guys. Get the start, you win. Don't get the start, you move up into a podium position. That's what he needs to find going into 2024, that is where you can, that's where you make the jump to being a championship guy. I'm sure he knows that. That's not breaking news, but uh, that's what it's going to take. He, he has all the tools to be able to do it. He just needs to, to uh, you know, kind of polish his game a little bit. Last note on 250, guys, is on Justin Cooper. Uh, you know, he had such a great 250 career, and it's amazing to me that he never won an outdoor title, because if you look at how great he was, how consistent he was, like his fastest qualifier percentage was something like 45% or higher. That is insane. Um, Now, if you want to talk about Stu or uh, Ricky, they probably had higher, but we didn't keep those stats then, right? You would just have to look at practice times. But for a guy who never won a title to be, Half of the time was your fastest qualifier is crazy. That is absolutely crazy. Um, So it's just, you know, I want to congratulate him. He did win a Supercross title in 2021, Uh, but to not have, um, yeah, to not ever get it done outdoors, which I think is his, his bread and butter is just crazy. I think he only had four wins across that too, which is just nuts. Like he was always on the podium, but I think only four overall wins. Before we talk about the uh, the power rankings, the final power rankings, well, I don't know if it'll be the final one or not, but I want to talk about the sponsors of this podcast. Uh, but it's going to be Pirelli tires as your title sponsor always. They've been they were the first sponsor on board, and I owe them a ton of thanks uh, for being wrong for the ride over the years. They had an incredible. Debut like a launch in Beverly Hills right before SMX for their uh, Diablo Super Corsa SP V4 tire. And that tire is a mouthful. Think about that Diablo Supercorsa SP V4 is the name of the tire. Uh, but if you know anything about Pirelli, they're a huge name in especially street racing. Uh, they sponsor Formula One, their official tire of Formula One. They used to be the official tire of uh, MotoGP long ago. But if you went to like MXGP, and for those of you who are paying attention to Motocross of Nations next weekend, you'll see that Pirelli rules, right? They have most of the teams, they win most of the races, uh, and that's not, it's, you know, that's not by accident. Most of the teams choose Pirelli. I've used Pirelli for a long time. They're outdoor and their motocross tires. They have the, a, a super wide range, They have, and, and they just have had it, had it figured out for a really long time um and I, that's when i when i used pirelli i was always like okay supercross was a little iffy right They've they've made big strides but outdoors it was like oh boy buckle up because you know now everybody uses the scoop tire but before then they had this tire the mx32 which they still have but it is so versatile and has such great straight line traction so like for the start it was really hard to beat and then it was everywhere else in the track, like lean angle, all this stuff, it was, it was great. Like I absolutely thought that tire was the best tire to use for pro motocross for years. Now it's changed a little bit. As I mentioned, the scoop tires really added a variable into that equation. But for most of you, you don't want to use a scoop tire. The tracks you ride on are not going to be disc and ripped enough for that. You're going to be riding a lot of more hard pack tracks. I would really recommend that uh, Scorpion MX-32 Midsoft. That tire is absolutely incredible. Guts Racing, they have seat covers and graphics for all sorts of power sports and e-bikes. They have complete seats for Kawasaki's, for Betas, all sorts of things. Um, I think they just have some real, a really cool wide range of products. They have the RJ Wide Wing seat. That is something that Dean Wilson has used in the past. Uh, wouldn't be so great for me because I'm too short for it. Right? It adds, or actually uh, minimizes the Distance that you're like the gap between your butt and the seat, right? But for someone super tall, if you're Benny Bloss or Dean or you're over six feet tall, that's something that I think you could you could try. Uh, they have uh, seats for the new, those all those really popular Sarans that everybody's riding now, like e-bike stuff. But just a great company and a, and a great family that's all about racing, right? You'll see Andy Gregg and his family at every race all over the country, uh, which is really cool to see. I love that dynamic. Plum Creek Funding. Listen, um, I've been telling you this, and as mortgage rates have been climbing, I've been telling you as they go, uh, mortgage rates hit an all-time, well, not an all-time high. They're the highest since 2000, right? They were approaching 8% this week, which is insane. That is not something that if you're younger, if you're under, say, 40 years old, you probably like, or you're like, oh my God, it's impossible to buy a house. Well, it's challenging. And historically, we're just kind of like, average you know like go back to 1981 it hit like 18 percent. okay now 18 percent is lunacy there's no way you could afford, most people could afford to buy anything but you would see housing prices crash it, you know if we just got nuts here and went over 10 percent or something which i don't expect but if we did you're going to see housing prices take a hard hard downturn and i don't care if there's availability or not that's what i'm, I'm friends with lots of real estate agents they're like but oh, there's no supply blah 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 you know like prices are not going to go down because there's no inventory. I'm like, okay, great. I understand. That's accurate. I don't care. If if rates go 10%, prices are going down. They just are because people won't be able to afford to buy anything. I don't care if there's inventory or not. People won't be able to afford anything. Uh, So we're we're reaching a breaking point, in my opinion. It's going to get really interesting to see what happens. Uh, Do builders start ramping up building again to ease inventory? Do rates have to cool off? Does, what do, what do sellers do? What do buyers do? Um, it's, it's a really interesting dynamic. Now the point of all this is you want to get the best advice possible. Cause I talk to people, they have to buy stuff. They're like, uh, Clinton Fowler, perfect example. And I, I hope I'm not overstepping. He's considering relocation right now. What happens when you, you have to buy and sell? You have to, like people are getting moved. There's, there are families here in the Boise area that are getting moved back to Seattle because Amazon is uh, pulling back on their remote work policies, right? So all these people that remote work happened and everybody just branched out to all these places. They moved out of big cities and moved to where they want to live. Well, a lot of that's getting reeled back in. And these people are having to move back to metro areas where they used to live. Well, that's forcing people to buy and sell when they don't want to. This is a perfect setup for someone like Zach Morris at Plum Creek Funding because it doesn't matter if you like the rates or not. You don't have a choice. So you need to have the best advice possible. You can avoid some of the higher rates. Can you do a 15-year? Could you put more down? which will, You can buy the rate down. Uh, so all those things, you want to talk to Zach Morris and talk to Plum Creek Funding about what your options are. That's the biggest key here. He's not a, he's not a magician, right? You're going to still face some challenging dynamics but he can give you the best advice possible and give you ideas for things that maybe you hadn't thought of. Concept Coatings Design Co. I was looking at their Instagram the other day and and they just build the coolest stuff, right? They do all sorts of anodizing, uh, Cerakote, laser engraving, all sorts of bike builds. um, And and I would recommend going to their Instagram to see all of that great work they do. It's Concept Coatings Design Co. That's their Instagram. But the, the thing I'm the most excited about is they're going to be setting up shop in temecula and doing bike builds doing bike prep bike prep or you can have your own station at their shop to do your own and i think about riders like justin starling or just middling privateers that i've never i don't know right maybe i see their name on the result sheet but i don't know them what i do know is that in the month of january and part of february and all of december they're probably going to want to be in california riding the test tracks and putting in laps in between races getting ready for the season. Okay. The difficulty is they don't have anywhere to be. They're unless they're gonna rent a house and add that has a garage in it, you don't have any place to work on your stuff. And I lived this dilemma. I was staying in a hotel and we had nowhere to work on our bikes, right? Like we had nowhere to put our bikes. And we'd have to go to our hauler, whether you have a box fan or a semi, where are you gonna keep all this stuff? You're gonna unpack and pack and get your tool cart out and do all it sucks. It's really really inconvenient you're constantly worried about getting your stuff stolen all the time why not go and get your own stall and and bike station at concept coding design co's new shop and uh if you want information on that i can i can connect you with uh with them benji dawson is the owner and operator there and it's it's just a really cool idea when he talked about it i was so excited because i knew there was a need for this i knew there was a market and people are going to really benefit from this right you could Think about it, you go to California, if you're a privateer guy, you have your own race shop. Like you're the same setup as all these other teams like Pro Circuit, right? Because what do they do? They go to the race, the practice track, they ride all day, mechanics or mechanics go back to the shop, start working to prep for the next day, and the, and the riders go about the rest of their training day, bicycle ride, whatever. You will have that exact same setup where your mechanic or yourself ride, go back, have a bike wash setup. Get everything dialed, work on it, everything's like super sano, clean, whatever. And you can be as professional as possible and set yourself up for success. So really check that out. Works connection, Yamaha foot peg mounts, chain gauge, pro launch start device. The pro-launch start device to me is a no-brainer. You want to get starts like Jet Lawrence or Chase Sexton or Justin Cooper or Eli Tomac this past season. Like, what do all those guys have in common? They use a pro launch start device. Why do these teams that win all the races and championships, choose or Hayden Deegan. How about that? Why do they choose a Pro Launch Start device? Because it's the best setup. End of story. It's not complicated. They don't have to use Works Connection. It's really simple. Use your promo code JT23 at checkout. And uh, yeah, don't overthink it. Why would you not choose what the pros, especially the best starters and the best riders in the world are using, the best teams are choosing this device. It's, it's really simple. ProGo wash ryan humphrey i'm actually going to get to see ryan in a month Uh great product power sports formulated wash uh, it's built to get off you know like dirt grime chain lube all the things that are you know endemic to our sport right there's so many things that are on the shelf at like walgreens or walmart or your local grocery store they have nothing to do with our sport and they're not their product's not built for it it's probably built for to what you know clean your countertop not what we're trying to clean what we're doing right so use something that's purpose built for what you do what we're all into side by sides dirt bikes street bikes bicycles e-bikes whatever that's what progo wash is built for international vet mx series their series is over for the year they had their last event two weeks ago in lewiston but what i would recommend is watch oldtimersmx.com for all of the 2024 events, and this is just a great series, great group of people. They're really catering to the vet crowd, right? It's not the rat race of mini racers and all that stuff. They have plenty of that, right? Ponca City, Loretta's, Mini O's. That's that's great, but that's not what this is about. This is more laid back, more about getting track time and spending time with your friends and really enjoying the weekend and not trying to be the next Hayden Deegan. That's not what this series is particular about. Great group of people over there. Thank you to all of them, especially James Harris for being a part of uh, this podcast. And hopefully we can keep it rolling for 2024 as well. TL Speed Shop. go to TLSpeedShop.com. Jason Cobb and his crew are based in Wickenburg, Arizona. And that's a really important piece of this. You don't have to go to Phoenix to do this, right? If you wanna fly to Baja and they can meet you, if you wanna fly to Nevada and they can meet you, that's okay too. Like this is fully customizable. And I should have been doing a better job of telling you these exact things, right? Like, it's not just flying to Phoenix and you ride around the desert around their shop. That's not what this is at all. You could go to Sedona, you could go to things like the Mint 400. Uh, They're gonna be in the Baja 1000 in November. All these things are doable. That's what they, that's where they're specialists in is customizable trips. If you wanna do corporate events, if you wanna do family stuff, uh, they can build it however you want. You basically tell them like, hey, we'd love to have all these side-by-sides in this big event in X, right? They can coordinate and facilitate that. That is what they do. And uh, it's just a really cool project and they have the best equipment. They have everything dialed in. You don't have to know anything about it, right? That's It's plug and play for them. You just have to get yourself there and they will dial in the rest. So thank you to uh, to Jason Cobb for being a part of this. Um, and it's just a really cool product and a project to be involved with on my end. Grandstone shoes is their product is so good. I wore mine on Thursday night and I I just love them. Like every time i like, I'm very fortunate. Okay. They take, they spoil me. They take really good care of me. And I wore a pair that I've only worn a couple times on Thursday night. And someone was like, Holy cow, those shoes, like they literally said those shoes are beautiful. And I was like, you're right. They are, they are freaking works of art. These, these shoes and they were like uh, like a really like soft tan, like tan colored, like light colored leather. They're just insane. Like every time I wear them, I'm like these these shoes are way too classy for me. But um, I am very, very happy and fortunate to be a part of, yeah, Grandstone shoes since the beginning. Uh, right since their first product, I was on board. I think they had like two, two models at the time and now they have probably 30 or 40. Uh, it's, it's incredible. Last but not least, Fly Racing. Uh, thank you to them for always having my back and sending me to, to France this coming week. Okay, sorry the commercials. I know they're long. I, I'm i sure some of you fast forward through them. I get it. But these companies are what allow me to put this podcast on and they have most of them have been with me for a very long time and I want to make sure that they get their due. So thank you to all of them. 450 class and your power rankings. Now I adjusted these significantly okay they're gonna be some in here that um yeah maybe don't make sense to you that's okay uh but i think this is more of a season ending power rankings if that makes sense this is not based off of la la doesn't okay a little bit a little bit maybe five percent but they're gonna be riders in this that you haven't i haven't talked about in a while okay and this is how i see the sport As it sits in the 450 glass going into 2024, and I didn't add in Hunter Lawrence, who will be moving up. I didn't add anybody new, but this is where I see it as of now, okay? This is like a 2024 preliminary power rankings that will get adjusted. And at number 10 is Adam Cincerillo. And really, the only note I have on Adam is just his arms, right? We know how good Adam is. We know what he's capable of, but it all comes down to what will his arms allow him to do? Is he going to get arm pump every race again because the whoops are back? My guess is maybe. Like, I I don't, that's terrible analysis. My guess is maybe. My guess is probably yes because that's what we've seen from him. Um, but the talent's not an issue. The work ethic's not an issue. Equipment's not an issue. It's just was arms holding back or not? Number nine is Dylan Ferrandes. And this one's tough because supercross, there's just nothing. Like, he's got one career podium, I think. I may be wrong with that, but I'm pretty sure it's one career podium. He has so much to prove to everyone in Supercross. So I don't know what that looks like. Is it more of the same? I don't even know what team he's riding for yet. Uh, So yeah, to me, it's, he's, he's Missouri. He's the show me state for Supercross in 2024. Number eight, Justin Barsha. And that sucks, man, to have an injury at the last race of the year. That really hurts because it puts you behind in testing, which thankfully he doesn't, you know, he's on the same bike. That helps. But your prep, your, you know, he's, he's not going to really get the the same, like, rest, recovery, then ramp up time. Like, he's just going to be trying to heal. Um, let's hope. And, and ideally, if he could be somewhat healthy, like, early to mid-November, then I think he's okay. But I don't know. Like, his injuries didn't sound great. Uh so just something to keep an eye on. It'll be really interesting to see when he gets back on a motorcycle. That is going to be telling. So we'll we'll keep an we'll just keep that you know going as far as a storyline. We'll and I will update you when I notice he's back riding and what that will look like. Because I've had injuries myself, I've been around it a lot, and I know what the timelines are. So the difference between him riding October, or November one and November twenty-one that's a significant difference. And then you push it to like December one, say he's off for two months. That's a big deal. Um, that, you know, him being ready, if he can't ride till December one, that really hurts. And it's, it's like, oh, it's a month. It's five weeks. That's not enough to be your, to be your best. Okay, will he, be, will he make the main and get 12th or something? Sure, no problem. He's so talented, that's doable. But this guy's won Anaheim one, like three or four times, whatever the hell it is. Uh, to be that guy you've got to be riding November one. In my opinion, I just think, I think that's just the fact. That's my opinion. Uh, I can't say that. My, that's my opinion. That's a fact. I guess it's a fact that it's my opinion. This is what you do when you only talk to yourself on a podcast. These, these are the circles you talk yourself in, right? I, I, I musings of a crazy person. Let's just say that. Okay. Number seven is Aaron Plessinger. And you know, the, The year was a positive, right? Detroit, we all think about that was the win he had locked up and it just devastating. I got to interview him, as you know. Um, But it's hard not to love AP. Um, I came so close to getting him signed to Wear Fly Racing for 2024 and it fell apart in the last second. I still am processing it. I'm not happy about it. Nobody did anything wrong. There's no one to fault. It's just, it's business. It's contracts and negotiation, all those things. Uh, But that should tell you how I feel about AP As I'm a big, big fan. And I'll be cheering my ass off for him come uh, France next weekend. So the one note I have on AP for 2024 is supposedly KTM is rushing out a new factory edition for 2024 that will release in December. Now, that doesn't mean these guys won't get it early. They will probably be riding on it when boot camp starts in November or October to start getting testing going. But for the public, they can't race it until it's homologated and available. So they need, KTM needs to rush in 400 units minimum. I think that's the number. by this By, you know, I don't know what the date is, but I'm hearing December is when that bike will land and it will have adjustments to the frame that all these guys have been begging for. So um, I think that's going to help because I don't think these guys love their chassis at the moment. I hear that complaint all the time is a chassis, chassis, chassis. And you think about Sexton going there to KTM as well. Um, This is is what KTM does well. If it's not perfect, they make rapid adjustments. They're not just going to sit back and wait till the end of a four-year cycle to do something about it. That's what the Japanese would do they're going to make quick adjustments and and KTM has always been known as the most nimble of teams. They just act fast. So we'll see what, how that has effects for, uh, for AP. Jason Anderson six. And I just think he has to regroup. Um, he needs to find whatever that spark was in 2022. It's not there right now. He's got to go find that. And I don't know what, I don't know how to do that. I'm not a, not going to claim to be, some sort of soothsayer or have answers, but I just know the same guy that was in there in 2022 is not there now. He is not that same rider. So maybe it's off season work. Maybe it's, you know, he had a kid this year, got married this year. There was a lot going on in Jason Anderson's life this year. So maybe having that out of the way and having some sort of stability and not constant turmoil is not the right word. You can't say getting married and having a child is turmoil, but, um, change right like that i don't know how to phrase it i don't have the vocabulary i guess uh but just some sort of stability going into the offseason and knowing what you're dealing with and being more prepared in 2023 i think maybe that or 2024 will be good for him Webb, we all know he's he's on the yamaha right like i really think he's going to be a different guy show up in january we got glimpses of it in la if you saw him like pushing up onto the back of Jet Lawrence at times in the early laps. Like, I think he has and is starting to figure that bike out. And I think in supercross, he's going to be better. Now, he didn't test for motocross on the Yamaha, really, right? Like, he didn't prepare for like a race like Chicago. So to see him struggle is not that surprising when you put all the factors into play. To see him bounce back and really kind of show some fire in LA does make sense. And I think he is a guy that is going to feel slighted by his performance. Like he's going to be really pissed off going into this off season. And I think we'll see him be better. Uh, They'll sort the bike out. He's going to get more testing time. He's going to, I think, get into better physical shape. He'll lose more weight and get into like, he's a guy that it takes a lot of work. You know, he doesn't have the best genetics, in my opinion, for being super lean, right? He's super talented. That's not what I mean. But I can relate to if he doesn't eat the right things, if he takes any time off or he just skips a few details, he gains weight. Uh, that's, I think probably most people can relate to that. A guy like Ken Roxon, I don't think can. Kenny's so damn lean and just just ripped, right? I don't think it's as difficult for him, but for Webb, it is. And he's going to need that off-season time to get down to his fighting weight. Number four, Kenny Roxon, who I just mentioned, uh, he really impressed me, man. I just... Didn't see this coming. He was so good in High Point. Maybe I should have. Maybe that's on me. But what a what a really really nice job from Ken Roxon. He's going to race the motocross the nations, which I love. I love that he's going back to do that. Uh, and he could surprise. Uh, don't don't discount Kenny when we go to France. He he rides tracks like that really well. Kind of ruddy, but also hard pack conditions. He's going to want to show that MXGP crowd what he's all about. That for, don't forget he's German and he raced the MX2 class, he was a world champion. He's going to want to show those guys what time it is over there. Right? Like I pictured as him going back, like, Hey, remember me? I'm still a badass. That's what I think he's going to want to show to the MXGP crowd, because I think they all discount it. Right? It's like, ah, you bailed. You didn't do MXGP. You pick and choose races and you're kind of on your way out. That's how I think they view him. And I think he wants to shut down that narrative hard and fast. Um, Going into 2024, I think he's going to be a lot better. If you if you think about what he looked like in Anaheim, um, it's like just the early rounds. I thought he looked really uncomfortable with the bike. We talked about it on Steve's shows a lot about it. He just didn't look like Kenny. He didn't have that flowy style. He looked like he was fighting the bike and just looked tentative. I don't think you'll see that when January shows up. He just looks like he's figured the bike out so much more. And he's getting some of that prototypical... Ken Roxon's style back into his riding. Number three, Eli Tomac. We haven't talked about him in months, right? Because he's been hurt towards Achilles in Denver and he's had no real placement on the power rankings. But he's going to be back. He's already walking around. Um, I think he said he's going to start riding in the next few weeks, which is awesome. That's what he said in LA. That's really great news. The earlier that he can start riding, the better he's going to be in January. And I know that's not. It's, that's really poor insight, but it's important. It's really important, right? The same point I made on Barsha, you know, I heard from people like his team didn't think he was going to start riding till sometime in November. Okay. That was in, that was in May. Somebody was talking about him racing SMX. This is where the story went. Somebody mentioned, I think he could back for the be back for the playoffs. And I'm like, really? Like he just tore his Achilles in the end of April. I don't think that's doable. And then I talked to Jeremy Coker, who is his team manager, and he's like, no, we're not even planning on riding until like November. So point being, if Tomac could start riding in October, I really believe he will be close to 100% in January. Now, does that mean 90%? Maybe, maybe. But I think it gives him a chance to be in the championship fight for 2024. If he started riding in December, no way. It's not going to happen. Like, you can't be off the bike for six months, ride for a few weeks, and then try to go beat Jet Lawrence. Can't do it. Not going to happen. I I just know too much about the way these things work to ever say that's realistic. It's just not. You can be the biggest Tomac fan in the world. Doesn't matter. That's not realistic. Starting riding in October does change that. And you can... Count on Eli being Eli. Doesn't mean he's going to go win a one. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying a decent result early in January that sets him up for a chance. That's that's really what I'm at. Where I'm at with Eli is don't be so far off in January that the championships out of the equation. That's really all that I'm looking for from him. Number two shouldn't be any uh, any guessing game. It's Chase Sexton, and he's the reigning Supercross champ. Don't forget that. Um, I think he is really excited to go to KTM. He's going to get a new bike, which I talked about with Plessinger, and I just, for better or for worse, he needs change. He needs to get away from Honda. He's not happy. It's not a good situation with him and his dad and Honda right now. I hate to see it because I love the Honda guys. I think they're really nice, and I think they've done a lot of good for their reputation and the atmosphere over there. But for Chase, that's that time's come and gone, and he needs he needs a fresh start. And for any, forget about the bike the chassis, the problems at Honda just change alone will be very, very good for Chase Sexton, in my opinion. Number one, who else could it be? It's Jet Lawrence. Why, why would it possibly be anybody else than him? He's the future of the sport. He has all the momentum. If you're not a Jet Lawrence fan, you need to check yourself and get on the program. Um, I know he didn't handle Chicago well or the press conferences or his comments, any of that, he did not. End of story, period. No other way to put it. He did not handle it well. I. Right, that's all there is to say, okay? I don't think he meant to be disrespectful. I don't think he meant to take shots at Kenny or Sext- Sexton or anybody. That's just not, that's not who he is. He's so playful and lighthearted, and I don't think he realizes that the things he says can be taken poorly or the wrong way or be misconstrued. That's going to be a part of his learning process. Um, he's just going to get older and more mature and learn along the way. But that's who he is. He's young. I've told you guys on this podcast a million times that he's twenty, going on twelve. That's that's how he's his brain operates. But if you are not on board with his racing and skill and just unbelievable talent, eh, that's on you then. <laughs> because I don't know what else. To I don't know what else could possibly convince you at this point. He is a bad, bad, bad. Dude, period, period, end of story. I won't hear any other argument to the contrary. I do want to mention two um, honorable mentions because I think they do uh, deserve it. And if I could find them, I would tell you. Um, but I thought Phil Nicoletti had a really, really great SMX playoff championship run. And I thought Colt Nichols uh, really bounced back well. Um, great job to to both of those guys. Um, you know, Colt had a terrible outdoor run there at the end, DNF, and you know he lost the factory Honda ride that he was a fill-in for. But he does have this beta deal, which is paying him well. So good for that. You know it's, his financial future is is improving. But um, I just thought he rode really well at the end. And Phil, Phil is Phil. That Chicago and ride was amazing. I mean, he led he led the damn race. You know, he battled top ten all day. So really happy with him. The Phil LCQ thing, I did get in a little bit of hot water. No big deal. It's fine. All's well now. Uh, but to hand fill that number one LCQ plate was, uh, was a highlight of my year. Uh, it was a really good really good time. And I, I would do it again, but I would probably tell people I was going to – I didn't tell people. I don't know. Whatever. It doesn't matter. There were people that didn't know. They weren't thrilled about it. In the end, I think it was good for the show. I think it was – everybody enjoyed it, and uh, I know I did. So that's it for this week. I will have another show this coming week from France. So look for that on Thursday or Friday going to be a little preview. And then of course I will recap the race as well. Thank you. I cannot stress it enough. Thank you to all the sponsors. Um, it means the world to me that you believe in me and believe in this podcast. And thanks to everybody for listening. Um, you know, I don't really pay attention to listener numbers, but I do hear from all of you t- from time to time, like, Hey, listen to the podcast. Thanks for everything. So if you do listen and you see me or reach out on social media, like that means the world to me. Cause I don't really know who listens and who doesn't. Um, that's not what I'm doing it for. I'm not trying to build this, you know, a podcast empire. Um, I, I do it because I enjoy it and I hope people enjoy it as well till next time. We'll see you.